It's all about focus, I believe. When we focus internally, you are going to put yourself into a spiral of self-destruction. Instead, though, you have an opportunity to swap that focus and focus outwards. Hit that stage and think about, how can I serve? What do they need? How can I take care of them? And the more that you are willing to let yourself go and really be in service to the audience, it can be a game changer. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. And for those of you who might be tuning into this on YouTube, you might see me as somebody who's doing a lot of speaking to you. You get to visually see me and the guests that I bring on. And, you know, very quickly, for those who are more familiar with me, is the fact that this has not always been the case where I can just jump on stage, jump on camera, do some speaking. It required a lot of effort. It required a lot of training. I was that person that would shake, turn bright, bright pink red, especially with my pale complexion, would make it even worse when it comes to doing any kind of presenting in school. And I had to overcome a lot of these challenges. But I have to say, it didn't come without the right guidance. It didn't come without the right desire to want to improve. And one of those reasons is because it affected every area of my life. And the fact that I conquered it has made all the difference to open up opportunities, to help me grow business, to make more sales. And we're going to talk exactly about that. What are some of the techniques and things that you can do to improve improve your speaking, implement tools like storytelling. And I've brought an expert on the topic so we can have this conversation in a powerful way. Kimberly Weil is going to be with me and she is a speaking strategist, also a martial arts expert and improv performer. But what is most impressive about her work is she's worked with over 500 speakers, entrepreneurs, celebrities, thought leaders from across the globe for over a decade. And what she's really passionate about is teaching people how they can overcome this fear of speaking, use the power of storytelling to improve results in every area of their lives. And so we're going to have a conversation today on how you can make those improvements and see how it affects your life as well. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Jason, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And I know you've spoken on a ton of stages. I kind of open up with a bit of my story. It was quite short, but I had this kind of like, I was very terrible at speaking. Now I'm very comfortable at speaking, but I had to really want to make that transformation. Are you someone that's like had to overcome speaking? Was it always easy for you? How did you get started in this? You know, I've been an athlete all my life, and so I've kind of, from a very young age, I was a fast-pitch softball pitcher, and so at a young age, being a pitcher and doing really well and traveling, I always had the microphone in my face, you know, interviewed after the game, so I got very used to that, so it wasn't very scary to me. I loved it. It was really fun, though... As the years went on, what I realized was there's so many levels and layers to this wonderful world that is speaking. It's not just put a microphone in front of you and start talking, but there's how do you move and how do you articulate your words and what about your pace and tone and volume and blah, 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 blah. There's so much. And I look at the whole genre of speaking as an incredible craft that you can work on for the rest of your life. 
This is true. And you know, what's funny is like, once you start getting into this space, like at first, when you don't know about all these details, you can kind of just show up with a microphone and do okay. But you have none of that anxiety of realizing that there's so many ways you can get better. And I see for so many people who are getting into speaking, it's quite overwhelming to think about speaking. And we kind of get paralyzed because as you've mentioned, there's so many things I need to think about. And it's the moment you become like self-aware of it, then you start becoming a little bit more anxious about it. So like when you mention all these things, if I don't have an awareness of all these little things, am I doomed to fail as a speaker? Yes, Jason, everything is over. I'm just kidding. No, you know, here's how it goes. And again, this goes back to my athletic background, I think, whether it's softball or being a martial artist for 30 plus years, I have a relationship with practice that is a very, I think, unique in many ways. And so I will outwork almost anyone because I'm not scared of practice and I know how much that's going to add to my success. And so as speakers, we want to do the work. We want to practice and play and if you look at your speaking kind of as an adventure, as a playground where you can try out different things, you can experiment with different approaches to your speaking, then when it is game time, when you are in the lights and on the stage, then you let it all go and be you. That's what we want from an audience. We don't want a robot up there. We don't want someone who's trying to memorize and think, okay, what's my next paragraph? What's my next line? We just want you and your raw self on stage. I think it's a Navy SEAL quote that says that you don't rise up to the occasion, but you fall back to the level of your training. And I feel that's something that's quite neglected. I mean, everyone's trying to get to the success or to the improvement quite fast. Even in speaking, it's almost like, what's the switch I need to turn on so then I'm super comfortable on stage? Is there such a switch or am I being a little delusional? <laughs> I think that switch becomes easier to turn on and tune into the more that you're willing to do the work behind the curtain. And I think that for those of us who are speakers and who have that as part of our profession, if you make speaking a part of your life, just like working out, just like brushing your teeth, that you have a ritual of rehearsals, of practices, of intent behind what you're going to be doing once the lights come on, then you're going to be fine. That switch can turn on fast. It was a journey. It required a practice. I'm glad you're acknowledging this because I remember even when it came to shifting towards the digital landscape, right? Now I'm not talking to an audience, which there's an element of being able to feed on a live audience, but talking to a camera, it's like a, just a lens, you know, and you have to speak alone. I remember like isolating myself inside a studio with just a teleprompter and a camera and just like practicing reading a teleprompter because I felt like that was something I needed to improve upon. And then now, you know, I, you can ask me to get on stage on any moment and I've put in that work, I've put in that practice, but for someone who's like, okay, that's great. I could improve in a speaker, but like, why, like, what is it that you've seen as a transformation? Cause you've worked with like entrepreneurs, particularly I'll focus on that. And I'm sure some people are like, oh, I have to prioritize a million things. Why should I even think about the speaking? How much of an importance is it to learn this craft in your entrepreneurial journey? Sure. So speaking is one of the most powerful ways to reach the people who need you the most. And so, sure, you can do different things online. You can do advertisements. You can have your website on point. You can make a lot of different choices. But if you're not out there speaking, how can we possibly know, like, and trust you? 
fast. And I believe one of the most effective ways to earn someone's trust is through story. I believe that there's no faster way to connect with another human than through a story. And if we are willing to share the stories, we are speaking, sharing those stories, um, the stories that really matter to us, the stories where our life has changed or where we've made a huge decision or we've learned something that now has completely shifted our train of thought, those are valuable. Those are gifts to our potential audience and to our clients. And so by speaking and sharing these ideas, you can know someone else's values what matters to them, how they think, and see if you're aligned. And if you are aligned, then you have an opportunity to go deeper with them and eventually work with them if they've done a great job. I got myself, you know, in the hamster wheel, doing the social media, doing all of the different things to kind of get an audience. And if I look back at all the major connections and clients that I have from today, they all have come from any kind of speaking on stage opportunity, at least the vast majority of them. And it's actually fascinating when I start tracking the source of a lot of the real impact driving activities that I've done, it has come from speaking. And so whether it was actually the fact that I have a book and that the Selling with Love is even a movement started with a talk that I did on a stage on Selling with Love. So I definitely agree with you that it's one of the highest leverage things you can do, but you're also very focused on the part of storytelling. And I've started putting some activities together so I can have a set of stories that I can speak about. But what if I'm coming from a place where I'm like, okay, you're saying stories. I feel like I don't have any stories to tell. Like, how do I get started in actually putting something together where I'd feel comfortable? Am I supposed to tell them like, okay, when I was a child, like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of my favorite questions. And here's a couple of opportunities. If you look back at your life, you can ask yourself, what are moments in time where my life changed in some way. Maybe you learned something. Maybe you had an incredible insight. Maybe you were challenged in a very, very significant way. And each of those moments in your life represent potential stories. And so I can look back through my life and I can take any section of my life, whether it was childhood or my college or graduate work, or I can take sports or I can take anything I want. And I can look at all of the moments in time where I have a really strong memory. And that's a good key for you is to think of, oh yeah, I yeah, wow, I learned a lesson the hard way that time, or wow, I really messed up over here. So those moments can then become stories. And if you think about your stories in service to someone else, sure, it is about you and it's your story, but ultimately we tell stories in service to others. And so if you reframe your story as a gift to someone else, then that lesson you learned becomes something that they can take and make their own in their own way. And so this can become a wonderful way to look at not only do you have one story, you have a plethora of stories throughout your entire life. And I like to recommend everyone have what I call a story arsenal, which is one place that you put all your stories. So instead of a sticky note here, there, and everywhere, and a page here, and a written down on a piece of paper there, why not have one place? And every single story that you remember 
goes into this one-story arsenal. That way, if you have an opportunity to speak, great, grab a story. If you have an opportunity to be on a podcast, grab a story. If you have an opportunity to do a job interview, grab a story. And having everything in one place gives you a really fast way to go through your inventory and say, ah, this one. This one's going to really land, and I'm on purpose with my story. Yeah. I'm glad you're sharing all of these because these are all things I also bring into my own life because, well, to be honest, my inventory of stories is what allows me to continuously speak and do some talks and relate it to some points. But I want to ask about this fine line in storytelling because I remember times where I've had a speaker go on stage and all they did was share stories and he finished and I was like, that was the best talk ever. But I'm like, he probably just made one or two points, but all of the stories were fantastic, entertaining. We were laughing. That was awesome. I've also been to a networking event where there was that one person. And I feel like we've all had that experience with that one person who just started talking about themselves, stories, and they were the most annoying time draining. And you had like, you know, your feet kind of out of the conversation to show body <laughs> language that you want to get out of yes. there. And I'm trying to understand, like, how do I know the difference so I can be like that speaker that really made it amazing as opposed to feeling like storytelling, I'll be that annoying person. Sure. And what I would say there is story on purpose, because let's face it, we've all been in those situations, right? <laughs> the feet pointing towards the door. I've been there. Oh, my gosh. And whether it's a family member or it's in a you know, business setting. And so what we want to do as storytellers, because we all are storytellers, if you think about it, we are. We are storytellers. We have stories. Every moment in your life where something happens, that can be a story. So we have an opportunity to really refine these stories and be even better storytellers. And so if we know our audience, one question you can ask is, what do they need? How can I connect with this audience. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say um, sometimes I speak in front of military audiences and I have a story about a time in college where I had a moped versus cement truck accident. I was not driving the cement truck. And so I have this story about the accident. Okay, great. It's The story isn't so much about the accident. It's really about the comeback and how did I get back up and playing again after playing softball after the accident. But when I'm telling that story in a military audience, I will go there. I will talk about the scene of the accident. I will talk about, you know, the blood and the glass and all of the things that happened and being in the hospital unconscious for five days and everything there. When I'm on the other hand, speaking to the ninth graders, I will not use those details. It's the same story. I am not ever changing my facts, but I'm knowing my audience and I'm asking myself, why am I even telling this story? So if this is all about the comeback, whether you're a military veteran struggling with suicide or you're a ninth grader just trying to make it through the day, the way we tell our stories matter. I definitely have to modify a lot of the stories whenever I'm making the talks and having the fact that it's a story makes it so easy because it's based on my memory and I'll adjust it for time and then adjust it for the audience I think is key. But I think there might be this false assumption that, you know, once I've written down my story and then I go to the group that my story is going to land. And I'd be curious if it's happened where you've like tested a story and then you realize that, oh my God, it actually didn't land with this group. And how did you adjust from that? Because I know I've tested some material and it doesn't go as bland in my head where I was like, yeah, everybody will love that story. And I've, I've had like silent cricket moments. Is that to be expected? 
You know, yes, and see my improv is showing up here. The yes and to that is I love to look at things as an experiment because when we do that, we give ourselves permission to try and to test and get better and refine. And so you do the best you can. You take your best shot and really study your audience, know who's going to be in the room. Think about how you can connect to them. Think about where those common ground opportunities are and share that story. And if it doesn't land, notice that. And then start to really unpack that for yourself and ask yourself, was it the story or was it the delivery or was it the timing or was it my movement or was it where I was in the day? So for example, depending on where I'm speaking, if I'm right after lunch, I need to come out swinging because everybody's got the carb coma, right? <laughs> and so I've got to wake the audience the F up and bring it as opposed to if I'm starting off the day where everybody's hot and bothered and all excited and, you know, so I can adjust my story. So I would say that, you know, it really does depend on where you are, when you are, who you're in front of, all of these things. And the more that you refine it, just like, let's think about comedians, right? Stand-up comedians, they are always refining, testing, refining. Some jokes do not land. Other jokes kill it. And the same joke will land in one city and not in another. Why is that? Different audiences, different timing, different people. It goes back to how you open this, like the practice, the training, the testing, and it's so underrated. And oh my God, I had these times and it not as specific to speaking, but I was emceeing. So I was still on stage, had to do something. And I had one of those after lunch moments. And then the producers were like, okay, Jason, you really need to hype up the crowd. So I was like, okay, I'm going to find like, what's the best thing I can get him to do. And I was like, oh, let's do like, we will rock you and get everybody talking about like, we will, we will rock you. I had this thing, I had this talk and I was like, oh, it'll be fun. We'll get people motivated. And then I had the lyrics on my phone from Shazam. We had the speaker of Shazam before that. And I was like, okay, then I'll show how I'm using Shazam to read the lyrics. It's perfect. And I had all imagined this in my head. And then I get on stage. And what I want to do is do like stomp, stomp. And like stomp, stomp, clap. But here I am, I'm holding the phone, right? So like my visualization didn't plan this. I didn't practice it enough. And here I was, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the lyrics. It's going to be fun. So I'm like, all right, everybody, let's do stomp, stomp, clap. And I realized... If you're holding your phone in your hand, you can't clap. And then I was like, (laughs) and then I was like, okay, I'll I'll drop the phone on the the ground. But then I realized I don't know any lyric except "We Will Rock You." So I looked awkward. It was like a big mess. And then I was like, damn it, I should have practiced. But at the same time, there was a lot of acceptance, and it's like I didn't die. And I think I want to speak to that fear. They say speaking is, you know, worse than death. And like. What are your typical ways that you help people understand that the fear is not as big in your head as it's felt for the audience? And how do you navigate showing up anyway? Sure. Well, (laughs) several things there. The statistics on death on stage are very, very low. So that's good, right? There's very few people that have actually died on stage. Great. We have that going for us, right? Depends on the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. So knowing that and... It's all about focus, I believe. When we focus internally, how's my hair? Are they not liking what I'm wearing? I wonder if someone's going to walk up and walk right out of the middle of my talk. What if they don't laugh at my jokes? All of that is internal focused. And if you are there, you are going to put yourself into a spiral of self-destruction. And that's dangerous. It's also 
not in service to your audience because you're, again, focusing on me, 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 me. Instead, though, you have an opportunity to swap that focus and focus outwards and hit that stage and think about how can I serve? What do they need? How can I take care of them? And the more that you are willing to let yourself go and really be in service to the audience, it can be a game changer because then you notice, then your awareness is spiked. And then you can see, okay, this section over here on my right is really engaging with me. So I'm going to spend even more time kind of back and forth with them to pick in some of the other group. And then I'm going to go over here and I'm going to have eye contact with this guy in the front row because he seems to be looking at his watch. So I'm going to call him out, right? So you can actually play with the audience and really get them on board. Also, for me as a speaker, my talks are very experiential, which means I almost 100% of the time will have audience interaction of some kind if I can, as long as it's not a TED talk or a TED style talk, we can talk about that, but that's a whole nother style of speaking where we are playing more to the video versus the live audience. And there's a huge difference there. But when we are generally speaking, doing keynotes and workshops and those kinds of things, the more that you are engaging the audience and co-creating the experience, the less your nerves will be spiked and the more fun they will have. Because let's face it, who wants to just sit listening to someone talk for an hour or 90 minutes? We don't want to do that. We want to participate as an audience. We want to engage. We want to be challenged. And so that can help the nerves tremendously. Another tip too here on the nerve kind of side of things would be to remind yourself that you are in service to the audience and to do whatever you need to get yourself to your A game, whatever that is. So for some people, it might be backstage. Try not to just sit backstage waiting for your turn politely and you're going to get cold. You know, your body's going to get cold, right? So I like to encourage all my speakers to get up, stand up, get their earbuds going, the favorite songs that they have, blast those in your earbuds, move around, dance around. doesn't matter what anyone thinks of you backstage. You got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your audience. And the more that you are in your zone, you know, if you need to do burpees backstage, do burpees, whatever it is. Although, be careful. I was running a TEDx event one time and I had one of my speakers and I gave this speech like, okay, keep yourself warm. Don't get cold. You know, keep moving. And he decided he needed to do burpees and he didn't notice that there was a cement ceiling up above his head. So <laughs> he does the burpee, hits the ceiling, blood coming down. He was our next speaker. So I'm like back getting stuff, patting him off with any towels and anything I could find and getting him... <laughs> to go and pushing him out onto the stage to give his TED Talk. Yes. So be careful of cement ceilings. I think that's going a little too far in creating a story to talk about when you're about to go out on stage. It's like, look, I'm bleeding. Here's how I show up anyways. Yeah, I'm bleeding, but I am committed to my idea worth spreading. So yeah, exactly. You do do a lot of work when it comes to 
all these short form communication platforms that have emerged, which I think this is a, quite the proper segue. I think seeing a bloody speaker who definitely would get your attention when there's so much information and content that's going out there. What are some of the trends you're noticing? Because our attention spans are shorter than ever, and we're trying to get on these new mediums and still get attention. A hundred percent. Yes. I've been involved in the TED and TEDx world for many, many years. My background's actually in technology. And, and then I got involved with TED and back in gosh, 2002, I had a software company back then actually because of TED by accident. So that's a whole nother side of my life. But what I noticed is I grew up with TED and I grew up with this short form, high stakes style of speaking where you have 18 minutes or less to share a story that can change the world. And by seeing these every year, this was before there were TEDx events and before there were TED Talks online, we would go to TED every year. It was an event once a year in Monterey, California. You would go to TED, change your life, look forward to TED all year, go to TED, it would change your life, look forward to TED all year, go to TED, change your life. And so I just became really sensitive and tuned into this short form style of speaking. Well, what we're seeing now, fast forward to these days as TEDx organizers, I work with a lot of different TEDx events all over the world. And what we're seeing, the statistics that are coming out is that the 18 minute talks are being watched less and less and less. And now a lot of TEDx organizers are inviting their speakers to speak for 12 minutes or less because the 18 minute talk. So we can't even hold our attention for 18 minutes. And even less than that, you can do a TED talk in 10 minutes, even better. So yes, we are seeing attention spans go down and down and down and down. And so what I like to invite people to think about is anytime you're doing a short form high stakes talk like that, you can think of it as a teaser into your bigger body of work. You cannot possibly say everything you want to say in that 10 minutes, 12 minutes. But what you can do is land a powerful idea in that time. And then for the people who want to work with you and go deeper with you and train with you, then you have your keynotes and you have your workshops and you have other ways to engage. You know, what I've noticed is the more time I'm given to give a talk, the less stressed I am. The shorter time you've given me to give a talk, the more preparation I need. That's pretty much the rule, isn't it? It is. It is. A lot of the speakers I work with, we will work anywhere from six months to a year on a TED or a TEDx talk. And whereas if you needed to do a keynote, okay, you're good to go in a couple of weeks. In some cases, yes. So it is because, I mean, think about it. We have to condense our most precious ideas down to the most essential elements. And that's really hard for humans to do because we get attached. Just like, you know, we don't want to pick our favorite puppy or our favorite kitten. We love them all, right? We love all of our ideas. And it's really hard to narrow it down to the most effective idea that you want to share for that particular outcome, depending on whether it's a TED or TEDx, or let's look at social, right? Social, you've got a minute or less, 30 seconds, depending on where you are, and to dazzle your audience. And so how do you tell a story in that short a time to get someone interested and intrigued in what you're doing? 
Do you often recommend to your clients and people that want to improve on speaking to just rapidly share these very short digital forms of content to test ideas? Or do you find that it's best to actually start with the longer form to really roll out the whole thing and then pick the best parts? You know, I think there's an opportunity on both sides. You can use your long form content and repurpose that into shorter form content. So just like you do, Jason, on your podcast. So we're recording today and we're talking about all kinds of different areas. You're going to cut this up into bite-sized chunks, right? So that's a great opportunity to repurpose content. And then people can get that nugget of an idea. And if they love that, then they're going to binge it and watch the next idea and the next idea and the next idea. So I think it's a yes and on that as well. Fair enough. Uh, there's so much that goes around this kind of communication. And by the way, just as a fun fact, were you around the TED when I would consider one of the best TED Talks of Sir Ken Robinson was there? Were you involved with that in any way? Well, I was in the audience for Sir Ken was an amazing human, amazing and hilarious. I mean, when You'd get together with him if you were sitting at the same table. I mean, he would have everyone at the table just in stitches. He was just masterful at that. Such an incredible person. And so, yes, he will be missed forever. You bet. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about right now, I'm just going to encourage you all to go to the Google, type in Ted, Sir Ken Robinson, and watch one of the best talks on education that is coming from the TED stage. And I think it puts into practice a lot of what you're speaking about. And people, you know, that's the false assumption is you think, oh, they're just a natural speaker. They just came up and they just know how to do it. Like for something like that to happen, you're saying how many months did it take to prepare? So it depends, you know, for him, it could have been anywhere from six months, perhaps a year, depending on how long he was working on that particular talk. And since then, he has done others or did do others as well. And, you know, his original TED Talk was education is killing creativity. That's the core of what we're talking about. And that's one idea. So let's unpack this, right? So this is his one idea worth spreading. So in the TED world, we look at not two ideas or 10 ideas, one idea worth spreading. Education is killing creativity. And when we hear that, we think, well, hold on, that's not true. How can that be true? Education is supposed to foster creativity and grow creativity. But within this talk, not only do we buy into it, we realize what a traumatic effect this is having on our students around the world and also what we can do about it. So it's not just, hey, here's a problem, world, here you go. We have a problem, here's what we can do about it and come on board, be a part of the solution here. And for all of us as speakers, we can look at that model of really looking at, okay, how do we want to bring something forth into the world? What ideas do we have where we could share just this one idea that could help shift opinion, can help shift perspective, can help shift actions. We all have that in us to do it. I love it. And so I've went through this conversation, let's say I'm a listener here, and I'm like, I've been putting this off, but I get it. 
it's going to allow me, you know, if you've been paying attention, you're going to realize it's going to open doors for you on a business front. It's going to allow you to communicate better. It's going to help on every front of your life rather. And on a sales conversation, it's basically you're doing one-to-one speaking. So whatever you put on the stage can also be applied to the one-to-one. And I've decided, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to take this seriously. What are the most powerful steps I could take if I've just finally got, okay, Jason, Kimberly, I hear you. I'm going to take this speaking thing seriously now. Where should I go? What should I do? Well, first of all, I want to give you a hug because we need leaders out there right now more than ever before in our global society. Right now, we need leaders to step up and stand up for what you believe in. And so if you are deciding, hearing this podcast and listening, I applaud you. I will give you the biggest hug if I ever meet you. Because those people who are out there who are telling the stories are affecting change in our world right now. Why not have it be you? Someone's out there telling the story. Someone's out there speaking. Someone's out there on a stage right now. Why not you? So if you want to start, a couple of ideas for you. First of all, this is going to be hard for a lot of people I know because I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I will give you this note. Let it be messy. Let it be messy means just do it. Get your start speaking. One of my favorite sayings I will say on repeat to everyone I talk to, if you want to be a speaker, speak. Get out there. Do it. Do it on video. Do it on social. Do it in low stakes environments. Do it with your friends. Do it with your family. Do it with your colleagues. Start doing it. Just do it. Let it be messy. And the more that you do it, the more that you will realize it's not as scary as you might be thinking right now in this moment. For those of you who are like, "Mm, I'm not sure, I don't know, the more you do it, the easier it will get. And the more you do it, the easier it will get. The more you do it, the easier it will get. And then here's a pro tip that is very effective. I do this when I'm working with getting someone ready for the TED or the TEDx stage, or I'm working with an entrepreneur, I'm working with anyone, I will recommend to do this. Record yourself on video and watch it. So I will give this note to a lot of people. And and let's say I'm working with someone and they'll come back and say, Kimberly, okay, guess what? I recorded myself on video like you said to do. Great. What did you notice? I didn't watch it. I just recorded it. (laughs) Okay, hang on. Please watch yourself on video because when you watch yourself You'll notice so much about your speaking style, about your gestures, about your movement, about your words, and then you can start to make micro adjustments. What would you like to change? What would you like to see better? Work on one area. Pick out one thing. Not all the things. Pick out one thing and say, okay, you know, my movement's very distracting. I'm kind of on the move all the time in my video, and I'm just sort of moving all around. Okay, great. Practice anchoring your feet in the ground and owning your space. Imagine yourself just owning your space. Great. From this place, now you're in your power. You have your power position, perhaps, and now you can share your ideas with us as opposed to being on the move, right? If you are finding yourself that you're using a lot of ums and ahs, work on allowing space to happen with pauses, and play with those pauses. 
and see what happens and see what you like. And so again, back to our earlier conversation, Jason, about treating this as an experiment. Another way to look at this is it's a playground. Have fun. Enjoy. Enjoy. Experiment. Play. Have fun. And the more that you do that, the faster you will take yourself to the next level and the next level and the next level after that. Kimberly, I absolutely appreciate everything you've shared. It's definitely a very structured way for Pierre and Gavin started. And I, I can tell you've been through the martial arts because at least we have now. What does it take to get to the first belt, right? Because so I was in university and this is what changed it for me was the video. And I remember just as an annoying reference, I'd always do this when I'd make a point. And for those who are just listening, I'm just like, I would clap my hands every time I'd make a point. And I was so annoyed by that. And then I was like, okay, I need to change it. And I was kind of forced. And it's almost like when you have to, you do it. And so I think if you've decided that you want to get better at speaking, it's absolutely the biggest game changer. And the number one thing that shocked me was how I sound, because I feel like I sound differently. And then I hear myself the first time, I get in a shock. Is that a common experience? It is. And also sound matters, right? So as speakers, whether you're an aspiring speaker, or you're already a speaker, and now you want to take it to that next level, your sound matters. And I would definitely encourage you to invest in a great microphone, because if you want to speak, you're going to be on interviews like this. And the more that your voice sounds crisp and clear, that really does matter. It makes a huge difference. A lot of people think, oh, I don't need a mic. I'll just, you know, toss on my earbuds and do this interview as I'm walking the dog or something. Right. And I would definitely suggest to take the sound seriously. And you're right, though, we do sound a little bit different than we think we sound. And so that goes back to the video. And the more that you're used to hearing yourself talk, you can also continue with those micro adjustments if you want to. Once again, for everybody who tuned in, we covered so much when it comes to speaking for one of the biggest takeaways here, which cannot be neglected, cannot be reinstated as many times as it needs to be said, the practice does make the progress. You're not going to be perfect. We got to take away that perfectionist mind. Every single great speaker that you've seen has practiced, has put in the work, and then now, guess what? They get to understand what is going to be the reactions of the audiences that come from saying particular stories. Building this story book, having this archive of all of the stories you have, putting them together and realize that you will have to find opportunities to test them. I love how Kimberly shares the fact that if you do it on camera or you practice in these low stake environments in front of friends at just having a conversation with somebody, maybe on a sales call that you're just having a conversation, maybe it's even an unqualified lead. You can actually go and test stories and just see how the reaction is. And then you get comfortable, you get to edit. And of course, everything is flexible based on the audience. You want to always be focused externally. This whole nervousness and freak out and fear that we have is because we're too much thinking about ourselves. We have to stop thinking about ourselves and focus on the audience. And I love particularly, Kimberly, what you shared about finding the people in the audience that you can just connect with individually it really brings a peace of mind when you're feeling that kind of nervousness because then you're speaking to one person at a time as you're scanning through the room that to me is a huge huge way to get that anxiety to go down and again it comes back to the practice the formats even if you're going into these high stakes environments it's going to be the practice that makes the difference but i'm hoping 
and praying for everyone who is a change maker who wants to make an impact. And I know if you're listening to Selling with Love podcasts, you're trying to do positive change in the world. Your ability to speak is going to be the fastest accelerator for you to make that a reality. So pay attention. Kimberly, we're going to put some links for people to discover more about everything that you do, all of the workshops, all of the training, because I know you work particularly with people that are impact driven, and there's a ton of them that are listening here. Please take a look at everything that you can do to continue your education. And I will have one more question for you, Kimberly, which is you're here on the Selling with Love podcast. What does selling with love mean to you? You know, I feel like selling with love means being true to who you are and standing behind what it is that you're offering to the world. And I also think that, you know, when we attach a story to our intention, that can help, like we said earlier, it can help us understand how we think, what our values are, what matters to us. And from that place, I can come at anything. If I use story, I can come at anything from a place of love and of confidence and of truth because I stand behind this. This is true. This is real. This is what I believe in. And if this is what you enjoy or you're interested in, now we have a connection and we're earning each other's trust. Kimberly, once again, thank you so much for your time, all of your sharing. Thank you for all that you do. And for everybody tuning in, make sure you check out these links we'll put in the description below so you can continue on this journey for speaking. It's a powerful journey and what doors it opens for you are limitless. And if you can learn alongside with Kimberly, you're going to get some fantastic support, knowledge and guidance, which is definitely going to accelerate you on your path. So thank you all for tuning in. And of course, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.